Good evening, good evening, good evening. Let's get right into another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing okay today. Doc? I'm doing well. Just unfortunately saw the Texas Southern Tigers. Lady Tigers. Lady Tigers on the women's side lose a game that in all probability it looked like they had wrapped wrapped up as they were leading 13 with five to go. And then five with two to go. And lost on the last second shot by Sam Houston State. They got a running layup. Ball rolled around the cylinder and fell with about 2.6 seconds left. And while the Tiger Lady Tigers got a shot off. It wasn't a good it, shot. It wasn't a good shot. So, the swack in terms of Texas Southern Lady Tigers are 0-2, as you would say. Yes, sir. I guess the, the Southland. Yep. And that other loss was to Houston Baptist University, right? At home. 77-65. And we stand corrected. And, uh, yes, I was contacted uh, politely to let us know that uh, HBU has not played and has not lost to Prairie View this season, as I stated in our last podcast. So uh, I apologize for that. And you should. And you and, have. Uh, but I also blame both of y'all for not correcting me during the podcast. I so must I, admit. So I all three of us take blame for that. Most certainly, especially with the HBCU side with Prairie View involved, I'm supposed to be aware of that. And I missed it. So we would do better, as I told Coach Finney, we would do better. Uh, in a future podcast, and we appreciate her listening to Especially the podcast as well as they are playing. Yes, and uh, yeah, they are. Uh, and to add to that, Huskies player Monet Neal was named Southland Player of the Week for the games last week. Helped lead the Huskies to a two and zero week. Averaged eighteen point five points. And 13, re- 13 rebounds in those two wins for the Huskies. That's that's, uh, that's a tad bit pretty good there. So kudos to her. So, uh, you know, Huskies are doing well. One thing is for sure. Sharp gym. Good place to be. Looks like it. And uh, Monet scored 19 points in a win over Texas Southern. So in that, in that as you stated, was uh, inside the H&P arena on THU's campus for the Huskies' first win on THU's home floor. Uh, ever. That first went over TSU since 2009. So uh, kudos to Coach Finney, her staff, and the players for for that victory and for, for playing well. Their next game will be on the 16th at home versus Texas State. And then they go they have host uh, on Saturday UT Arlington at 1 o'clock. So game versus Texas State is 7 p.m. on the 16th. Game versus UTA is 1 p.m. on the 19th. Going to keep talking women's basketball real quick. Uh, saw U of H women lose at home Saturday to UNLV, 63 to 60 in the game that uh, Cougars shot well. Waka, you'd have been shocked. First quarter they shot 50 plus percent. Wait, hold on, hold on, stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. We're going to dwell on that. Let me let me dwell on that. Because in women's basketball, that's don't not dwell too long because they didn't shoot 50 percent in single well, quarter. But in women's basketball, you and I both know. That's that's a historic for around here in town. Just here in town. Now, that's historic. It that's led, historic. It led 21-14 after for the first minutes. quarter. Problem game. Game should have should have had a, a bigger lead, but they turned the ball over. I think seven eight times in the right. quarter. And that's then 
after shooting well the first quarter and winning the rebounding battle in the first quarter, they got crushed, rebounding the ball in the second through fourth quarters and turned it over. They gave up, uh, I think, 20 second chance points to UNLV. Mm-hmm. And in a three-point game, you can see where the loss bit them in the behind right there was on, on the glass and committing turnovers. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it was a tough loss, tough home loss for Coach Huey and his Cougars. But, Wildcat, you'll like this. Today, Monday, one of uh, Coach Huey's freshmen was named to the American Athletic Conference Women's Basketball Weekly Honor Roll for now, her efforts. So now they, 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 they have turned the corner. So, yes. They so have turned the corner. Sarithia Momo Hawkins yep. was made honor roll for her performance uh, for the Cougs last week. Averaged 11.5 points per game. Shot 64.3% from the field and 50% from the three-point line. Also averaged six rebounds and 1.5 steals in the Cougars' two games when they went one and one. Sounds like to me she needs to get the ball, needs to get more shots. Yep. Apparently. Absolutely. Getting it done like that. You shouldn't shooting well like that. She needs to take more shots. So uh, I know Coach Huey follows us on Twitter. Need to talk to him. He said, man, need to re- design your offense and work with Brown Momo a little bit more often and get us some more looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coach, we're making a suggestion. But it's just Chris. It's just KG now. That's all. So Doc knows what he, you know, he, Doc knows numbers. Yeah, he's sure shooting will. 50% from a three and 64 from, from, from two. <laughs> you need to do. She and needs more shots. Story. So, yeah. Men lie, women lie, coaches lie, numbers don't. Exactly. And I had to add the part well, of the coaches there. Co- yeah, Those that know the song. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. But up the road a bit. Prairie View's LaMaria Cole was named uh, Women's Basketball Player of the Week. Helped PV go 2-0. Average 22 points and five assists Big per wins. game. Big wins. Leading Prairie View to a 2-0 week. And, Doc, I do believe one of those two wins was on the road in Ruston, Louisiana, over La Tech, correct? Wait a minute. Hold up. Back up now. Yes. Back up now. Yes. They went to – They, they went to some very good basketball, like just uh, really – Four and one. Up. So, yeah, this is how we got started and made the, had the uh, brain cramp that one of P- PV's four wins over HBU, which w- it was not. Okay. So, okay. So that's what happened. But, yes, Prairie View went into Ruston and, and beat La Tech for um, the first – Swack win in Ruston in over 40 years. 40 years. That would have had to be. Oh, that's a long time back. That's, yeah. That's a long time back. That's what the press release says. Over 40, I would have been actually surprised it was just 40 years ago uh, in regards to that because the basketball program was that would, yeah, pretty dormant Prairie View, but that's basically the start of women's basketball. Yeah, program, that, that would have had to be before they before LaTeX really LaTeX got wrong. was, yeah, on the upward tilt but uh wow that's an interesting fact there man that they were in that game against tcu 69 60 leading the game early in the game and towards the third quarter where it kind of got away from key turnovers and obviously fouls at the end stretch the lead but a relatively close game in that so they've been playing some good basketball uh late um so see, they interesting got to see the benches shorten a little bit uh, with some ladies um, being dismissed from the team, nothing in terms of them being ugly, but just weren't really getting on board in regards to what the coach want to do. Be interesting to see if they'll be able to have a way to come back, or will the depth play some issues with Prairie View, or will it be one of those things that coaches say, addition by subtraction? Obviously, with the two wins right now, it's definitely addition by subtraction. So yeah, been there in their five games. Just a real quick. 
Let's see. They beat Howard Payne, opened the season 86-46, went over Nickel State 81-70. As Doc mentioned, the 69-60 loss at TCU. Then the 77-68 win at La Tech, followed by the 80-72 win home versus Lamar. They get back on the court have their, after their break from finals, Tuesday the 15th at Georgia Tech. That's going to be a stiff test. And then they have the uh, Wichita State Shocker Winter Classic Friday and Saturday, first game in uh, Wichita versus Wichita State, the Shockers, followed by a game on Saturday versus North Dakota State. And then they have a big, big a test on the 29th of December when they go to College Station, visit Reed Arena, and play Gary Blair's Texas A&M Aggies. Yeah, that's a real test. And then they get into conference play, which will be interesting because right now they by, by far are well ahead of the conference in terms of not just the record they have, but the fact that of the four wins, they have three of them against Division One competition. Nobody else on the ledger has more than two wins against uh Division one competition. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You have to imagine that Texas Southern will still be in the mix. Southern will be in the mix. Obviously, we just talked about Texas Southern. They're sitting at one and five, have a Division one win, have several games that they felt they sh- left on the court. So we'll see what's going on there. One of the losses to Texas Southern of those games, I really always like the matchup to try to get an idea in terms of when we look at teams, they're descriptive of HBCU. They lost a game, and that's Texas Southern I'm referring to, to t- Tennessee State last weekend. That was during the Thanksgiving uh, weekend where they lost 72-56. to um, Tennessee State, if you remember, won the OVC last year, so they're playing some pretty good basketball over there. And if you kind of transition, uh, you may want to jump back in terms of the women's side, but if you transition to Tennessee State in terms of what they're doing on the men's side, they got to win as they played against Grambling State and really dominate Grambling. Grambling has not really done well in terms of basketball in some time now, but the fact is that they're doing really well there. So that was an intriguing matchup when you look at what's taking place. They're sitting at like 6-2 and two playing some very good basketball. The men's side, as of late, both in the MEAC, SWAC particularly, have done a great job in terms of finding a way to get some of those wins against Division I competition. We haven't seen this uh, in a while. And for several of the SWAC schools to go as deep as they're going, which should be entertaining for SWAC play in regards of them getting those non-conference wins specifically against SWAC schools. You have Southern that is really dominating what's going on. Southern is 7-2. and two. Uh, They've had some big wins on the le- ledger. We'll kind of go down their schedule a little bit to see what's taking place to give you some eyes on that. Another team that you have to keep our eyes on, and I told everybody that listened to me when we had that first week before we really got into basketball looking at some teams to watch, is Alabama A&M. Four seniors, and they have a preseason All-American in tab. And Tab is for real. Very athletic, 6'3", 6'4", uh, guard, hybrid, plays from forward position, can even get in the post to get it done. Alabama is leading Alabama to A&M as they're putting on 42. Alabama State is 4-4. Four and four. Um, They have some big wins getting it done. They give you some teams out there in Jackson State not to get too left far behind. They're sitting at 4-6. and six. So I'm interested to see what Jackson State does. Uh, as they continue to play some good basketball. Southern has a nice matchup against a MEAC foe that is expected to be in the top there, which is North Carolina Central. 
Um, so I'm interested to see how that matchup. That's a chance for two teams that should be at the top of their leagues to go head to head. Last year, a Central came down, played in Southern, and this time Southern is going up there to North Carolina and Raleigh to look at uh, what goes on there. But to give you some teams in the MEAC getting it done, uh, you have Hampton sitting at four and three. MEAC does something that I really like. I've been pushing the swag towards those that those in positions of power that will listen to me. I tell them to really consider about playing, you know, a couple of games before the Christmas break, essentially, which would alleviate the fact that the SWAC now schedules this Monday, Saturday, Monday, I should say. Then they skip one in there and try to end the season, so they possibly have those games on Thursday, Saturday. So you're talking about four games in like seven, six, seven days, which is tough on the body, particularly when you start looking at you going in the tournament the next week where you have teams that can play three to four games. So you can have a winner of the conference playing three, four games, plus the four games the week before. I know they're young legs, but when you're trying to put yourself in a position, and as of late, the SWAC has gotten out of the play-in game, but that is always in the watch out. And so you're talking about playing six, seven games in like 13 days um, at some point those legs are going to go so those one thing so with that not only do you have uh, Hampton sitting at four and three you have some teams like Bethune Cookman and Norfolk State sitting at four and five you have Howard that is really uh, getting the markets they have a young man that is leading the nation in scoring uh, James Daniel the third is really getting a lot of press right now particularly on the Twitter uh, an HBCU circuit websites and things of that nature as he's getting it done. He's the one that got the buzzer beater or a key shot against Texas Southern University in Las Vegas in a the game they played there. He also gave North Carolina Central their first loss in like 20-some games at home, 30-some conference games, in a buzzer beater that he got it done there. So they're uh, really intriguing. So it'll be interesting to see what Howard is able to get done as they're going to be uh, in the mix, they're sitting at one and one in the conference race now. Just to give you some early indicators and surprising a lot of people is the fact that North Carolina A and T, while they're four and eight overall, they're sitting at two and zero oh in the conference race to get a good head start. Right behind them are those teams I talked about that are sitting up there right at the 500 mark: Hampton at one and zero, oh, Bethune Cookman at one and zero, oh, and Norfolk State at one and zero. Oh. So those are some of the teams to keep your eyes on in terms of that race. Uh, what's going on there and some matchups that I'm very intrigued about. Uh, as we look at that and the fact that you have Tennessee State is back in the basketball businesses they kind of uh, slipped out of the radar in terms of the men's side as I said the women's got it done by winning the championship but the uh, men really were slumping last but they're sitting at uh, six and two I believe it is uh, in the race they hadn't played a conference game but they're playing some really good basketball and it'll be interesting to see what they can get done. The reason I wanted to get into some of these key MEAC SWAC matchups this week, KG, as we get going, yes, sir. is the fact that you have the Celebration Bowl. I'll be in Atlanta this week, ready to see the SWAC champion, Allcorn State, sitting on the north side, uh, or sitting on the south side of the bleachers. Or do, now let me make sure I get that right. Alcorn will be sitting on the north side, while North Carolina A&T will be sitting on the south side. The reason I remember that because you got north and south <laughs> with North Carolina A&T. They're the co 
or tri-champions out of the MEAC, but uh, the way the tiebreaker goes, they were ranked highest in the top 25 FCF's ranking. Um, so they got the bid, and so they'll represent the MEAC. It's my understanding that Alcorn State has already sold out their allotment. I've also heard the statement that there's already been 40,000 tickets sold for this game. So at this point, looks like it's going to be a hot ticket, hot event. be interesting to see. Woodley will be joining me down there. I've coerced him into taking the trip. <laughs> really? I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, just show a lot right. love. You were, you were voluntold you were going. Uh, hey, all he did, did was just mention, said, you want to go? That's, yeah. that's just, just how, he, how he plays. Uh, yeah. I, I, you want to go? We can get some work done. I'm like, hey, works for me. That's what it is. We talked about it a little bit last week, the hire, uh, Texas Southern University on the football side, Mike Haywood, as it seems like football is never over in the south, southwest regions of the U.S. and in different parts of the U.S. in general. But the other uh, shoe has dropped, if you would. Jackson State had a press conference today mm-hmm. naming their football coach, assistant coach, Mississippi State. Say that again. Previous Mississippi from, from, State. From where? Mississippi State. That's a Power Five. Yes, out of the SEC, SEC. Power Five program. Uh-huh. Tony Hughes Left gets his chance to be. To- yeah, Jackson wanted State. to be a head coach. Now, head my coach. understanding that he was making about four to let you know how serious that that's where I was going to go. Talking about, he was making approximately four hundred thousand dollars at Mississippi State. Really wanted to get a chance to lead a program, have some connections to Jackson State. Um, so he took a bit of a pay cut. He's going to be making about two sixty-five uh, with a sentence that can take it to three hundred or just over three hundred. So. Taking a cut, but uh, depends on your life. That's still Obviously a nice chunk of change. Still a nice good chunk of change, especially mm-hmm. to lead your program. And ultimately, most coaches, if you ask them, at some point want to get a chance to lead a, a program. And obviously, he saw that the ceiling was probably tapped out at the FCS level. And if we look at the number of coaching changes that have taken place, you can see how difficult and challenging it is for a man of color to make it to the head coaching job at any level, particularly at the Power Fives. It's just ugly, to be frank with you, and unfortunate as a case. But in this case, if you're a SWAC fan, if you're a Jackson fan, particularly, you're really happy that he chose uh, to take the chance of being the head coach at Jackson State of Tony Hughes. So the SWAC has gotten a little deeper in terms of what I believe are very solid coaches. Mm -hmm. Uh, First and second year, so it'll be interesting. The pay has tremendously increased, um, so the expectations are going to go up. Jackson State got tired of seeing Alcorn State kick a lot of behind, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jackson State was just 2-2 two and two against Jackson State, but the fact that Jackson State were going over here and playing in the SWAC championship yeah, game Alcorn and winning those trophies, this, yeah. as they would say it on their little rendition, back-to-back. Throw that in there. I like that. That was if you tweet mm-hmm. that, you can go that and find it out. And now they're making a chance of becoming a national black college champion. Because as I have the rankings, I have North Carolina sitting at A and T sitting at two, the Aggies, and I have Alcorn State sitting at number one. So this is one versus two matchup. Most polls out there have them uh, one and two, essentially teams in the top twenty-five. Alcorn in some polls are just outside of that in terms of the FCS level. But this is an intriguing matchup. You're talking about a defensive juggernaut for both teams, nationally Excuse ranked. Excuse me, Doc. Hold that five. thought. Yes. Well, okay. Listen to this about Coach Tony Hughes, okay? 
Oh yeah. Is, is he going to invoke Nick Saban? Listen to this. Oh yeah. Are Lou Holtz? He went there. He's a 56 years old. Okay. Southern Miss alum. Past 70 years as a member of Mississippi State's coaching staff, he also coached the Golden Eagles Southern Miss secondary in 2008, and was at Ole Miss from 2005 to, through 2007. He also coached JUCO level and high school level in Hattiesburg, South Natchez, and Philadelphia. That's all Mississippi. Rivals.com named Hughes one of the country's top 25 recruiters, recruiters. earlier this year. Yes. After the Mississippi State signed five of the state's top six players. Hughes' recruiting prowess figures to be a major bonus for Jackson State. So, in other words, what this tells me is Coach Hughes and his staff that, that he will assemble is going to close the border. So, anybody trying to get some of the top talent in that state on, on that level, for sure, yeah, it's going to be very tough. Yeah, you ain't getting these kids. You you can come in and knock, but it ain't going to be answered. Now, the question becomes, as you said, is Alcorn has been able to rule the roost. Can he pull them away from the southern part of the state in regards to those that and want that's to be raised? And that will be interesting. Be but there's see. nothing like a Jackson State crowd in terms of and what, the way that Jackson me, State Doc. controls that state. That's what they tell me. There was, without a doubt, if people want to be associated with that program, it'll be interesting. And the East certainly just got deeper. I mean, yeah, Brian Jenkins coming over, but Thune Cookman, we've seen what he's done. done. Alabama and them Bulldogs, it just got tougher on the coach there as he uh, had a down year and a lot of people are, uh, are pressed about him. But the West is not going to be a joke at all, in my opinion. You are at least four coaches deep. I would argue five when you talk about that um, – Two of the coaches have won championships. Who are you excluding, sir? You well, I was. Some people would leave out Arkansas Pamela. Okay, but I think he's the real. Uh, no, and just, he's won a championship. Yeah, so, so I'm just wanting to measure it in terms of. So you, so you, we got Grambling Southern. Yeah, PV now TSU. The, the Fobbs is so talented that uh, he has interviewed for the ULM job. Mm-hmm. So that gives you some measure in terms of uh, going up. Uh, Okay. You, you see what Alcorn does. Right. They also, his coach, has also been involved in the ULM job. So the swag is becoming. Are you, are you, and we'll see. And I think a one measure we're going to be is going to be the swag in 2017 is going to a seven game format. Okay. So you should see a lot more non conference games than the two you got right now with the nine game schedule and obviously three when you can play 12 games. So you can talk about four to five non-conference games. We see that with uh, Texas Southern next year playing uh, Houston Baptist. That's Southern. one that we got five stakes, stakes on. Stakes, five stakes, Wildcat. They play you Sam ready? Houston State. You ready to pay them I stakes up? Obviously, yeah. they're ready for yeah. Sam Houston State. But you'll see that. Prairie View played Sam Houston Doc, State in 2017, 2016. I ain't changing for that. He said he's ready to pay up the five stakes. Doc, that's uh, yeah, what he I'm, said. I'm glad that he is ready to pay up the five stakes. They won't be on the sideline anymore. It won't be on the sideline anymore. So what? Do you, so you're sticking with HBU? You you sticking with who? You, who you say? What was the Texas best? Southern? Tell us what we're talking about here. Texas Southern yeah. will win the game next year. Yeah, the first game that is played between Texas Southern and Houston Baptist on September 16th, right? I think. Yes, yeah, September 6th. Now second game of the season mm-hmm. after the Labor Day Classic. After then, Texas Southern goes down to Prairie View in the new stadium. 
Yeah, now that I'm looking forward to so, that. Uh, I saw some crying. Oh, by the way, real maybe, fast. Uh, and I'm gonna say this real quick. Matches on the 10th, September 10th. TSU and HBU. Doc and I went down last week to present the, tro- the uh, Big Ben Trophy to. Uh, the, uh, was it Jante? Jante Ben. And while we were there, running back, I stepped outside uh, and took some photos of the, the new edifice on campus, sports facility, mm-hmm. football stadium, and actually saw real work compared to when you are you and I passed by on our way uh, to to take care of some other business. Several cranes were in the air, working. They were pouring concrete. It was a busy B day. It was a, but it was a good day on campus. It was kind of quiet, but uh, yeah, because you get in, it was following. Yeah, uh, which uh, told me everybody's head was down. <laughs> everybody's head was down. Either praying or in the foot. Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> I hope so, because I'm gonna tell you, bit of both, it's been a while since I last did it. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So you got a lot of folks. Yeah, it may be a little tough on them right now. I last know. thing I like to do about the BX Wack Challenge. Uh, is give you some statistics as we talked about earlier. What's in the numbers? Let's talk about what's going on. Give you. Let's start with Alcorn State uh, in the SWAC scoring offense. Alcorn State is ranked third in terms of what the teams got done. Mm-hmm. And I like to give just conference only stats because you can't really control what people play in the non-conference, so you can get some mismatch there. But in terms of teams playing each other over here, and similar to the MEAC. One difference is White plays nine games, Miak plays eight, so that changed uh, the scoring up a little bit. But you're talking about an average, so you still get a pretty good ad, uh, idea. Alcorn State Braves, 42.9 scoring offense, while A&T is tied for third with North Carolina Central at exactly 30.1. Scoring defense should be really intriguing here. Alcorn State, nine games, 17.4, and the Aggies are sitting at 13.1. So chance for a big defensive matchup there. Total offense, the Braves, 477 yards per game when you look at that. Uh, A&T is down, and that really dropped a lot after quick. They're down to 302 yards per game. So some things to think about. Rushing offense, the Braves sitting at 324. When you look at the rushing offense for the Aggies, you're sitting at a team that likes to run the ball, 271.6 yards. Uh, when you look at that rushing yards, uh, I mean, rushing offense for for the Aggies sitting at 177.1 yards. Let's look at that in terms of that total defense. That tells me a lot. I really like to look at the total defense stat. When you look at the Aggies, they sit at 271.6 in terms of what they like to get done. And then when you look at that for... Braves, you're looking at that defense, scoring defense. It gets really interesting there, too. Pause right here for some reaction rushing, and you talking about uh, Alcorn State 146.2 in terms of some stats that I think are very key in that matchup. Essentially, what I see is a defensive struggle, particularly early. I think eventually you'll see the Braves be able to wear down the Aggies on the side and be able to run the ball, which is going to effectively get it done. They have the dual threat, so they're a little more versatile on the offensive side, and I think Aggies are still trying to figure out what they're going to do with losing uh, the senior quarterback quick uh, last three or four games of the season. So I'm going to go with the Braves coming out of the SWAC. Okay, I was, the inaugural I was about to ask you. SWAC yeah. championship game, I'm going to go with the SWAC, trying to find a way to Sir? get it Sir? 
You gonna stick with the local area? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. So you picking Alcorn Swack to win the yes. Celebration Bowl? All right. Because they hadn't. The reason I'm doing that is because at the quarterback position, they hadn't dropped off. Absolutely. They have not dropped off. Gentlemen, Sports Center on the road will originate live. Yes. From the Georgia Dome for this game. Live. The game is on the 19th, right? That is Saturday. Yes, 11 o'clock Eastern Time. Well, 12 o'clock Eastern Time, 11 o'clock our time. They'll kick off the bowl season, literally. So that is going to be on ESPN? It'll be on ABC. Listeners, say that again, sir? It'll be on ABC. Well, I tell you what. Real deal. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. You enjoy. You stay out of trouble, sir. Oh, no. I'm not worried about Doc. I'm talking to you. You stay out of trouble. I don't know nobody in in Atlanta. I may meet somebody, but I don't know anybody right now. (laughs) But, yeah, Sports Center on the road will originate live from the Georgia Dome West Plaza between gates B and C. Jay Harris, Lisa Kearney, and Kerry Champion will anchor the program along with analysts, Jerome Bettis. And that will be really interesting, that crew. Oh, by the way, Doc, I knew I was supposed to ask you a question. Uh, An an explanation was asked about why the the SWAC and MEAC doesn't doesn't play in the uh, FCS, uh, why they schedule out of that. What what transpired in that and how did Celebration Bowl get the game? Absolutely. For... Historically, from everything I've researched, there are some indications that um, originally that the SWAC may have had a bid. At that time, it wasn't an automatic bid or what they referred to as an AQ automatic qualifier. Okay. For the last 20 years or so, the MEAC has had an AQ automatic qualifier. And so it wasn't as difficult for the SWAC when 10 years ago, well, going on 16 now, in 99, when they thought they had the attendance and ability at the FCS level to play a championship game right after they expanded the conference from eight to ten teams, bringing in back Arkansas Pine Bluff and bringing in Alabama A&M as Pine Bluff moved from the NAIA up to Division One, and Alabama A&M moved from the SIC, better known as the SEAC, in Division Two up to Division One. They split into the divisions that everybody is pretty much aware of now. East-West, East is Alabama A&M, Alabama State, Jackson State, Alcorn, and Jackson State in Mississippi Valley that we just talked about those five there. In the West, you should be more familiar with these programs living in this area, which is Texas Southern, Prairie View, as well as out of Louisiana, Grambling State, Southern University, and then they pick up Arkansas with Arkansas Pine Bluff. So they split them into five divisions, played a championship game. Oddly enough, the first year they did that, the requirement said that you needed 12 teams were split into divisions to play to play a SWAC championship game and also play in a bowl game. You could have the championship game, but essentially at that time, if you would do it, the championship game would de facto be the bowl game. Well, for whatever reason, commissioner at the time either didn't know the rules, didn't understand the rules, or was going to do what they wanted to do anyway. Oh, uh, one of those situations. That was Washington. Uh, people remember him yeah. as he got in a little trouble, but we won't go there. Okay. They played in the uh, bowl game. By that time, they started hearing some words from the NCAA. They couldn't do that. They couldn't really stop him at that time, so they let them play the game, kind of admonished them. And at that point, 
there were some questions about what was going on with the Heritage Bowl. It was um, a partnership between the MEAC and SWAC. At first, when they did it, they basically wanted the two champions of the leagues to play each other. Uh-huh. They kind of call it the Super Bowl of black college football. Uh-huh. Didn't quite work out that because over the years, you started seeing matchups where sometimes Jackson State um, would be the champion and they would go to the playoffs. And so you would get Southern or Grambling to play in the game. And several times you got MEAC would send a second. In the last game when they had Anthony, it was actually a third-place team in the conference that played in that game. There were some questions in terms of people were questioning how financially solvent it was. They were still averaging 28, 30,000, so attendance was deep. Yep. They had sponsors. I think it was McDonald's at one time, a home building company, uh, brokerage firm was over it. So they had uh-huh. some pretty decent sponsors, but they basically essentially – uh, pulled the plug on it. Mostly it seemed like it was because they weren't sure how NCA was going to create the legislature. After everything was said and done, SWAC was solid enough to actually get the NCA to change the bylaws. So the bylaws became that that became a uh, end of the season tournament game. So at that FCS level, you actually could do it with 10 teams essentially. And it didn't preclude you from playing a postseason game. But by then, they had stopped the Heritage Bowl. So you just had the SWAC do the championship game. It continued to grow. grow. And last three years, as people know now, it moved to Houston. They've set unprecedented marks. With uh, If you look at the top five attended games, three of them have been the games in Houston. They hit the 40 mark this year. They were at 38, 39 the last two years. The first year was actually, when people recall, was a storm on the northern front of the southern region of the United States, basically along I-20 and just up. So you had a lot of people out of the Dallas area that were stuck. And Dallas has a huge southern uh, contingent up there. Good amount of Jackson State folks that were playing in that first game when it moved to um, Houston. They didn't come down. They still had 38,000. People thought they probably left out maybe 5,000 people out of that area, whether it was from Dallas or above. Uh, where that snow storm was coming on along 20 it was so bad Arkansas Pine Bluff because they had the Battle of the Bands uh, redo if you would like they did at the inaugural event and Arkansas Pine Bluff's band got stuck on the highway and actually had to turn around it was so dangerous to give you some indication of what the weather was like but all in all it's a great game came back to get strategically to your point the ABC, ESPN, ESPN events particularly, oh, yeah. um, wanted this game. They wanted it really bad. They have been pushing for this game essentially 10 years if you really look at the uh, history of it. It goes back to Commissioner Viles when he moved from the SIAC to the SWAC. And at that time, the SIAC was playing a Pioneer Bowl game, which was between the CIAA and the SIAC, the two HBCU programs that are governing the two conferences that govern HBCU athletic programs at the NCAA Division II level. That game has since gone away, but ever since then, Vows wanted to see this at the SWAC and MEAC. At the time, MEAC wasn't ready for it. They were really focusing on the FCS playoffs. SWAC still had the chance to have an at-large bid, but they never had a team that had a record like you saw with Prairie View this year that was probably just edged out in terms of what they did, better scheduling, 
the next years is why I also talked about moving to the seven game format and you see a lot more Southland cross rival type of games to see if they can make the move and have some teams maybe get in with an at large bid. So that's something to keep your eyes on. The MEAC, if you would, they had actually started kind of moving in a strengthening position. As we talked about, the last Heritage Bowl game, they had actually had three teams in postseason play, two in the playoffs and one in the Heritage Bowl. That kind of went off and on for the last 15 years. As of late, they haven't been very strong in terms of getting at-large bids. But really, at the end of the day, what happened, money was put on the table. Essentially, both conferences will get about a million dollars a piece. Hard numbers will go to the team, at least for the MEAC, the way they've set it up was about an 80-20 split. They were looking at 70-30, 80-20. Looks like they've decided to go with the 70-30 split, which means A&T will take home about $600,000, and that's before the tickets allotment. If they oh, are given some tickets, wow. and they can even reach even higher on that. Um, it, Mm. So they'll take that at home again. The SWAC, I think, has a very similar setup where you're going to see the team playing in the game take home at least a half a million dollars, uh, which anybody's payday is essential with the other half essentially going to the conference. So when they went from about 250 k which they were first negotiating and offering the MEAC, when they kicked it up to a million dollars, it was almost a no-brainer for the MEAC presidents and chancellors to say, we can't turn this down. And that's when they decided to go with sending their champion, which is what the ESPN events was requesting and requiring if they were going to have the game. In their mind, no doubt, it had to be a championship game between the two championship teams representing each conference. And they got it done. And that's essentially what took place. And as history, we have it at this point. No longer does the MEAC have an automatic bid. The SWAC hasn't had an automatic bid ever, specifically at least over the last 15 years. But both conferences, if they schedule correctly, have other teams outside of those teams playing in either the SWAC championship game, because the MEAC doesn't have one of yet, or obviously those two teams playing in the bowl game. You find teams outside of that, they end the season before the playoffs start, they have a good enough record, they're eligible for the at-large bid. And I think if you're really going to make a run and participate in the FCS playoffs at a championship level, I think it uh, behooves you to actually be able to earn a spot as an at-large bid to get an automatic bid and just participate versus getting an at-large bid and actually have a chance to contend and play for championships and win uh, different games at different levels on a run to a championship. As you've seen, Winston-Salem State and Tuskegee just recently this year make it to the quarterfinals and obviously Winston-Salem State a couple of years ago make it to the final after making it to the semifinal uh, of teams that are making runs in the playoffs at the Division II level, representing the SIAC and CIAA respectively. Tuskegee out of the SIAC, Winston-Salem State out of CIAA. So that's where we are. As we turn the tables last week, I'll give you probably one more podcast and give everybody a final update of what took place at the Celebration Bowl. And then we'll turn our attention to basketball, men's and women's full-time. The Air Force Reserve. Celebration Bowl. And they just were earned that title sponsor last week, and they're very big. And that was a big, as, big deal. As was mentioned on Because that's going to help finance show. that the bowl continues to move forward. It is a six-year deal. Well, getting that sponsorship was very big. And your show airs when and where? 
Every Tuesday, every Tuesday on K-Switch Radio, 12.30 a.m., K-Switch Radio, 12.30. We broke the news last week on the fact that they had a title sponsor. We broke the news uh, in regards to ESPN uh, going to be there uh, with their show. We were breaking that news because we had John Grant on there, the executive director, several times. Uh, this week, we plan to have Jay uh, Skywalker calling in to talk about his analysis of the game as he has called a lot of the SWAC MIAC games. It's my understanding that he'll be there to call a lot of this game. So we're very intrigued about that matchup. Uh, working on the coaches, uh, they're making arrangements. They'll actually be in town Wednesday, so it might be a little challenging to get them on Tuesday, but uh, really excited about that. We're also working on getting some of these new coaches in. Uh, Jackson State has also named a new athletic director. Um, Brown so a lot of news we get to break a lot of that news very happy about doing that again that's KCH radio 1230 a.m. from 6 to 7 live central standard time you can catch it if you can't catch it then you can go to SoundCloud where we have the podcast we have a new one that was up last week where you can get some of that information about the celebration bowl and why it's important in at least the eyes of the executive director John Grant uh, a couple of weeks ago you can go to podcast 66 if you would we had commissioner sharp on there from the swag do a sharp uh, so we have a lot of people that come on there uh, that give hbcu news updates and, and really a fascinating what's taking place so i'm happy about the show check us out on friday we're going to do a podcast in atlanta and we're going to get some of the star Wars, if you would across the nation that covers hbcu sports we'll have them on as we do a podcast right there. I'll also be guests on the show Saturday, uh, Carlos Brown show that usually airs from 10 to 12, but because of the game, we're having a special edition next Saturday. Uh, you can look up Carlos Brown and listen to us as we do a live show from inside the stadium from 8 to 10 that morning, um, excuse me, from 10 to 12 right before the game. So listen to us then uh, for the College Brown That's Show. Eastern we'll time because you said the yeah. game starts at 11 o'clock Central. Yes. So yeah. it'll be 9 to 11 yes. Central time. Yeah. So okay. we'll be there doing it before Doc's the big time. Wow, so Cat, see, you'll be, you be riding coattails of, of a big time superstar in Atlanta. See? Yeah, we're going to see you. Sure. <laughs> you, you. You be in his domain like he's in our domain at the Women's Final Four. Right, that's, that's that right. is true. So, yeah, that is right. true. That, that is, is very true. true. Matter of fact, just, just, uh, um, you, you sent me a text earlier, either today or yesterday, that uh, something would go live this week. It should be this week. So, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll announce that later on. But, gentlemen, did either of you happen to watch the uh, Houston Cougars LSU Tigers game yesterday afternoon? I on ESPN two, I was in the building for like, the last eight minutes of the first half. I was shocked, but I tell you what, why I were you shocked, sir? Because of something that I saw, and I'm not talking about on the floor. I saw what Coach Sampson, Coach Coach University of Houston Cougars head men's basketball coach Kevin Kelvin Sampson has been looking forward to. All season long. And that is? That was a crowd was in the arena. And it was spotty red seats. And I do mean spotty red seats being seen by moi. 
7,918 fans nice. inside Hawthorne. You look good on television. And I'm going to tell you. 4,000 of them were LSU fans, but that's okay. I don't care. Money spent. Yes, sir. In the right place. At home. And that's what at home. the U of H marketing department, Was it? the U of H athletic department needs to realize. Fans here in town Better come, come to out. see the opponents. They don't come see U of H yet like right. they should. Right. So if you know that ahead of time, you need to start scheduling opponents people want to see. No. They need to play LSU every year. I will. Here in Baton Rouge every year. I put it on Twitter I saw yesterday. That. I saw it got retweeted and favorited a bunch of times from lots of people who want to see U of H play LSU year in, year out. Make that happen. You had the fans chanting, LSU fans chanting, Cougar fans chanting, student section was packed. Props to the U of H students for showing up at the game yesterday. A lot of fans came to see projected number one pick Ben Simmons. You saw, you didn't see he did he did not put on a, a a spectacular show. But he showed what he's capable of he doing. Showed his skill level. He's a great pass. He's he's more of a facilitator than he is a scorer. And he still had 14 and 13 in, in 20 some minutes. 14, 13, five, two and four. He sucked the stat sheet in limited amount of time because more of LeBron James or Magic Johnson. Wow, that that's and Close, probably closer to Magic Johnson. Yeah. I mean, LeBron was Magic before LeBron became a better shooter, better scorer. I yeah. agree. So no question. But, I, but, 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 I, yeah, I, I used to think the comparison said, between LeBron and Magic, the the I mean, between LeBron and Jordan, when the real the comparison no, yeah, oh, no, should have no. been between LeBron but, and Johnson. Yeah. From uh, the get go. What I saw and yesterday. So that's why I wanted appropriate look at yeah. this one. What I saw the saw in a short amount of time I was there. Uh, he was more of what Magic was, what we saw, especially in, in college. You know, selling guys down, you know, going through the, the reads and all, and being able to see before. Really could control the floor. Yeah. Can, 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 can. At the height he is, which is scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, he loves to make no-look passes and get and, his teammates involved. And, and the one thing that I noticed out of him was he doesn't get rattled. Nope. It, doesn't, he, it doesn't matter who's on him defending wise. He just looks over the top and says, "Okay, I got to get to this move spot." Here, move here, you, you guys, and he's directing traffic down, coming down court. Ooh, Hands on the ball, is like, "Hey, move, get to where you need to go." Because when I get to half court, we're gonna be moving our offense. <laughs> I like seeing that. Out of, out of, out of, I like that. And let me, like, yeah, and, and that, let me what, say this: Sunday morning, on the Houston Round Bar Review Facebook page. I posted a link to an article discussing the uh, that the game versus U of H would be the season debut for senior LSU senior Keith Hornsby. A LinkedIn article uh, from that's posted in theadvocate.com. He sat out the first seven games because of injury and his his because of a sports hernia surgery, and wow. you could see the importance that he has to the team. He scored 32 points off the bench yesterday, made some ridiculously tough shots. As you could hear Kelvin Sampson in, in post-game reference, go to the Houston Round Bar View YouTube channel to hear some of those comments. I mean, the first three minutes of the post-game was Coach Sampson talking about the shots Keith Hornsby made. I mean, some of them included <laughs> the, the game time, three-pointer, to send the game in overtime to tie the game at 84 was just a very tough shot. I didn't realize this, though. You know who his dad is? <laughs> Come on, no. Bruce Hornsby. 
Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, Bruce Bones be in the range. Oh, <laughs> yes. no. Yes. Oh. So, oh, man. So, Kevin Watkins and Joseph Duarte were tweeting about that, referencing that in Twitter. And I was like, I had no idea. But he can shoot. He he can shoot. He and Rob Gray Jr. for the Cougars put on a show, man. They were just going back and forth. Rob Gray scored 31 points off the bench. Hornsby scored 32 points off the bench for LSU. I mean, final score was 105-98. Cougars win. It was a fun game to watch. Both teams shot 50% from the floor. And, you, and, and that's another. And that's another rarity in, rarity, in college it, basketball, it, it, period. Yes. It was fun to watch. It was good to, that it was on ESPN, too. It was good for the American to see an American team beat a team from the SEC. True. They, Cougars it, it, are 6-1. At the end helped. of the season, yes. the, your, your RPI will, will move up the ladder because LSU is going to compete. LSU will, will, will get better once their team is complete, which should be around uh, January when they get the full complement of big men. But the Cougars dominated the boards. Speaking of, it was a well-played game. Thank goodness for JUCO. Post players, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to waste time with them. Right. You can just put them out on the floor and say, tell them this, we'll tell them what you want done, and it gets done. I like what I saw like yesterday. I like what I saw in the short amount of time I was there. I like what I saw out of post play yesterday. And uh, matter of fact, and speaking of uh, Dun Denrad Chicken Nose, yep. was on the floor with, the whole time I was sitting in the building. I was like, wait a minute, hold up. And, was, and, and 20, twenty points, nine rebounds, and, and ten points in the first half. And short time, he got he got after it yesterday. It was, it I don't know first, what it was his first start this season, oh, I believe. Okay, and uh, he earned he validated Coach Sampson's gut feeling to put him in the starting lineup versus LSU, and it worked. So, it worked. It worked. He disrupted some traffic yesterday. I, I was good. That was good to see. He he knows he's got length. He knows he can play. He knows he can speed, and he can stretch out. And when you got a stretch that that has that that wingspan, he's so mellow, as you know. Wildcat post game yesterday. I know he was like, well, you know, I got I got to do what you I got to do." I asked him, like I said, it's all part of the Cougs post game interview. You can go to YouTube for the Houston Round View channel, and you know, Rob Gray Jr., Coach, Coach Sampson, and Chicken and we were in post game. I asked Chicken and you know, get his thoughts on his start in the game. Well, you know, I just. Did what I do, you know. That kind of answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, all right, chicken. Well, why did he ask yeah. when, you, when somebody asked him about guarding uh, uh, Ben yesterday? Well, well, we didn't. I mean, Coach Sampson talks like Coach Blair. You let him uh, let him go, and he, he, talked, he took five minutes talking about you know, talking about everything else under the sun. Speaking so of. We got a chance did. to ask the players questions. In a, in a post game took 11 minutes. Well, he was nine excited of, now. He was excited. To, uh, think about Sampson that. He was excited yesterday. Because he talked about LSU. And uh, Keith Hornsby performing. He talked about the players, but he also referenced the fact the Hall of Fines Pavilion was packed. But he also, as he said before, he's told us, you have to earn the right of big crowds. That's true. And, That's true. And he said, we're getting there. Our team is fun to watch. We have we play hard. We compete. So we're we're, we're beginning to earn that right for have fans come see us play. And he acknowledged that fans probably spend money. To come see Ben Simmons play, you know he's the number one pick projected in the draft, and he's fine with that. But hopefully, you you may have paid to see Ben Simmons, but you went away seeing U of H play and liked how this, their style of play, and plus they won, so it looks good on TV. You got ESPN probably talking about the Cougs more now after that win than they did before that game, so it's a win-win for the for the program. You know, referencing the fact that the basketball development center. Yes, I, I, I looks, sent looks it. wonderful. I sent it. You so, like what you saw. So you, you combine that with the renovations of, of uh, Hoffines that will be complete. 
Coach Sampson referred to those two buildings, the renovations being completed and the development center being done. Big. Houston will be a basketball mecca. And he said, point blank, he said, we want to be Houston's best college basketball team in the city of Houston. So that that is what he wants. He wants fans to realize and appreciate what the Cougars are doing. Their style of play is fun. They compete. They play hard. And they win. But let me add, once again, the non-conference opponents this season. Has to change. Has to change. Florida A&M. Louisiana Monroe, Texas Rio Grande Valley. The best one, best name other than Prairie View, Murray State. But the fans don't know who Murray State is. We know who Murray State's a good team. Fans yeah. know who that is. Now, I'm going to ask you. I, I did, re, re, I, I've been personal, but I did ask about Northwestern State being put on the schedule. And? And was told they do what we do. And they got a score over there. So I didn't get into the personal side of it. And I was like, I did what you did. Like, and? Yes. <laughs> because, trust me, Southland teams travel. That that team does. I know that. Because when they come to Sharp Drown, it it, 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 it's not a ghost town. Yeah. It's not a ghost town. You need your face. Here we go. This, this is my thought on it. I've said it before in, in, in previous podcasts. Maybe the conference needs to put their foot down. I, like, thought, I, I thought they had done that. But based on... Th- U of H's non-conference schedule, and maybe some teams backed out or, or whatever. You know, maybe U of H is on the high horse expecting, demanding one-for-one contract, contract, you know, deals where you you come to us and we go to you one-on-one ratio. They're not that good, so I don't know why they're doing that if that's the case. But Wednesday they play in the Global Basketball Classic first round versus North Carolina Central. And then they play Eastern Illinois on Saturday at Hall Fines. Fans don't know who that is. They don't know who either one of those teams. You go from playing LSU, packed building, to NC Central and Eastern Illinois. I promise you the combined attendance for those two games will not be 7,918 fans in half LSU. Well, let me ask you this question. Then. And I'm being facetious, but I'm, I'm being real also. Will it measure up to 2,000 or 2,500? About, about that, probably. Yeah, about that. Uh, com- when folks, we talk about a combination. Now. We're, not, we're not talking about it. probably be gone. Yeah. You know, for holidays and that's, break, that's, the finals is over. So they'll probably be gone. So that's 2,000 folks probably gone. Well, I won't be at the game. So, but my theory, they should, U of H should play LSU and or A&M every year. Texas A&M. Yes. If you're going to play somebody in from the SWAC, play TSU. Yep. If you yep. want fans like in the that. seats, play yep. TSU. And the Southland, you play San Houston State. Yes. Or Northwestern State. Right. Play people or locally. Or Stephen F. Austin. Or Stephen F. Austin. Play some people that can that will travel, yep. come to Hall Finds, and spend some money even in if you, your building. Even if you got to do a, a pick up a home and home situation basketball, why would you have age? I mean, it, it, it has to happen. They need to change the non conference schedule. And hopefully, because as I've said before, I said when I saw them practice, this team's going to be good this year. Like Coach Sampson said in the postgame, we didn't just pick these guards. and it's, We got <laughs> some really good guards. Really, and they do. 
They have, they have they have some really good guards this good year that guards. can take care of the ball. Don't turn it over, and when they need to score, they can score. And he can put a multiple uh, package out on the floor with with his uh, with at the at the guard spot. He can actually run three guard rotations with no problems and not lose and not drop off. They will actually get after. It. So because of their good guards and because of the style of play. Schedule better teams, teams that the local fans will spend money to see. That's what it comes down to. Hopefully next year's schedule will be different and better, and I won't have to be on my soapbox like I am right now. No, you won't have to be on the soapbox because until the schedule gets changed. Yes, I'll continue shouting it on the highest mountaintop until it changes. Trust me, listeners. And I know that I have U of H alums and some U of H higher-ups who listen to these podcasts. So, if you're listening to this one, I am talking directly to you. Schedule better. Schedule teams that fans want to see. You, if you live in Houston, you know this is a fair-weather town. So, schedule... Ooh. Teams yeah. that fans yeah, want we'll see. to see. Yeah, you have to drive the needle. And then once you do that, add to it, continue it by promoting your team, marketing your team to the fans to come to Hall Finds. And stop relying on whatever it is you're doing marketing wise right now because it ain't working. Wildcat. I'm listening. I'm How listening. can folks find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter, TweetDay, and Facebook, J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr. SoundCloud, YouTube, Blogger, at AKSV, the CSR, the College Sports Report. Doc? Yes, Dr. Kenyatta-Ville, sports professor, Texas Southern University, associate professor of the sport management program. You can find me also at kcohradio.com. That's kcohradio 1230 on the dial, 6 to 7 every Tuesday, 6 to 7 every Tuesday. And you can listen to our HBC Sports Report with Dr. Ville's Inside the HBC Sports Lab. If you're not able to catch it live, you can... Uh, Go to SoundCloud, Dr. Ville's Inside HBC Sports Lab on SoundCloud and get the podcast and listen to it at your convenience. It's usually up by the end of the week. And as we said, listen this Friday as we will give you a podcast that talks really in-depth knowledge about the Celebration Bowl with a full fledge of guests that talk about HBC sports uh, throughout the country, throughout the sporting HBC diaspora, as I say. So I'm really excited about that. Again, we'll be in there Saturday. And you can listen to Carlos Brown's radio sh- uh, radio show um, at WBR to listen as we'll be a guest on that show. Myself, co-host um, Charles Bishop. You can um, also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. For those that may have not heard or still hadn't a chance, you can go to THG-Agency.com, get your HBCU Sports Report, 
You can get some information on the inaugural HBCU Athletic Research Consortium Conference, better known as the HBCU ARC Conference, that gives information from a research perspective from professors around the country that looked at HBCU athletic programs, the good, bad, and different, looking at it from a research data analysis perspective. You can go to the inaugural Ben L. Calvo Senior HBCU Football Award and look at pictures, a gallery of pictures about the banquet and about the players that were up for the awards, including Jonte Hebert from Prairie View A&M, running back, all-purpose, dual-threat individual that actually got it done at bringing home the Ben L. Calvo Senior HBCU Football Award trophy, better known as the Big Ben. Two things as I'm going to follow up. I looked up the stats. The Cougars' home attendance in six games this season. Total, gentlemen, total. That's, inc- that's including uh, yesterday. Including yesterday's game is 18,699. All right, what was total last year? Keep in mind, yesterday. The attendance for the LSU game was 7,918. That means the other five games had an attendance of roughly 11,000, or an average of 2,200 fans. And trust me, the low was Prairie View of 1,223. It wasn't 1,200 fans in the building that game for Prairie View. Okay, so five home games. Attendance is 11,000. One game versus LSU, you got 7,900. Get the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Get the message. Do something about it. You can't just rely on the uh, conference opponents, the named conference opponents, to boost your attendance. You need to give fans teams that they know and want to spend money and see. Doc, real quick. Yes. Any thoughts on uh, Justice Scalia's comments regarding uh, affirmative action in education? Yeah, I think it's appropriate definitely to go in on that from two perspectives. One, just from the general person of power that really um, spoke really ugly, to get just to the matter of fact, in regards to insulting. Um, individuals insulting institutions as he talked about lower class and just the way he talked about it and then you had um, some other Supreme Court Scott Scotus uh, judges referencing that and I just thought it was sad state of affairs when you see individuals that are charged with making the laws of the land at the highest level having that mindset really scary thought but outside of that One thing that I thought was intriguing to me that people don't talk about a lot is that it's intriguing on one hand that you have a group of people that are really disgusted in their mind with minorities, particularly African Americans, having this opportunity in terms of affirmative action and looking at that from an educational standpoint. Later, some people would even look at it in a workforce and act as if things in the past didn't create the need for that. But 
those same individuals rarely, if ever, have a problem with affirmative action in regards to sports, particularly from those money sports, as we see football and basketball, particularly men's basketball, to some degree, women's basketball has moved up into that echelon. But you don't see that same framework, affirmative action, when you take uh, students that we know now do not necessarily graduate at the same rate as their peers. Many people would suggest they're not as prepared for college and certainly are not reaching the SAT and ACT scores necessarily to fit into the average of the institution. But the affirmative action to get them in in terms of giving these scholarships so the robust university can bring in tons of money, no problem with affirmative action in that framework. So when it's fine for you to be exploitative, no problem, look the other way, shut your mouth. But when you're really talking about giving people opportunity, there's a major problem. And so this is white privilege, Eurocentric thought, higamy, patriarchal framework at its worst. And that's the way I see it. No apologies from me in regards to that. And so I'm one of those individuals, if it's good enough for it to be one way, let's make sure it's good enough to be the same way in athletics, if it's good enough for it to be that way on the academic side. And we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, sir. And wrap it up. I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Website www.houstonroundballreview.com. Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram. Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube. Listen to our podcast on SoundCloud as well as iTunes. You can check out our Facebook page, the KG Fifthwood Wildcat and Doc page on Facebook. We post there, add some comments. I'm on Twitter at the HR Review. Hit me up there, the HR Review. Gentlemen, thank you as always for your time, knowledge, and insight. My pleasure. Enjoy yourselves in Atlanta. And hope the, hopefully the game is is uh, very competitive throughout. Yeah. And I'll be watching on TV. Thank you. So I'm going to wrap it up, as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.